identity is to be in Christ. Our identity is a new creation in Christ. And this identity impacts every area of our lives, marriage, family, work, and how we go about living in and engaging with culture. And today our focus is on the husband living as a new creation in Christ in marriage. Let us pray. Father, as we turn again to this passage of Scripture, as we've been working our way through what your word teaches about marriage, about the role of a wife, about the role of a husband, Lord, we ask you to teach us, for you to bless us. Oh God, the Holy Spirit, would you open our hearts and give us the spiritual ears to hear your word and empower us through faith to live as new creations in Christ. Father, work in me. Give me your words to speak, true words, that I would be faithful, that we would be faithful as the word of God is proclaimed and ministered to us today. In his name we pray. Amen. You would turn to Colossians 3, 18 and 19, then we'll flip to Ephesians 5, 21 and 33 as we read these passages of scripture yet again that our hearts and minds might be stayed upon the very word of God. Colossians 3.18, Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting to the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. And now Ephesians 5, beginning with verse 21, Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of of the church his body and is himself its savior now as the church submits to christ so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands husbands love your wives as christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, and no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and they too shall become one flesh this mystery is profound and i am saying that it refers to christ and the church however let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband this is the word of the lord you may be seated As a reminder of where we are in this series, Colossians, the, the uh, uh, supremacy and sufficiency of Christ, the Apostle Paul has taught about the worthy walk, and he has laid before us how we walk worthy. He has exalted the Lord Jesus Christ in both his person and his work. From chapter 1, verse 1, to chapter 3, verse 17, the Apostle Paul has been, has been doctrinal and theological. And now he comes in verse 18 to turn to 
practice. That is, what are the practical implications of walking worthy as a new creation in Christ? What's the implication of being a new creation in Christ? And he deals with marriage, he deals with family and work, and even as we live in culture. And so he begins with marriage. Two weeks ago, we looked at marriage in general. What does the Bible have to say about marriage? And then last week, we considered what the Bible has to say about the role of the wife in marriage. And today, we turn to the husband. Martin Luther, the 16th century Protestant reformer, was a monk. And he married Catherine von Bora. She was a nun. And they were married on June 13th, 1525. They were blessed with six children, and by all accounts, their marriage and their family were exemplary of what the Bible teaches about both marriage and family. Luther said this, Let the wife make the husband glad to come home, and let him, the husband, make her sorry to see him go. I maintain that the chief reason that a wife is sorry to see her husband go is by God's grace the husband is faithful in fulfilling his role in sacrificially loving her in being that godly servant leader in living for her welfare and her good in cherishing her. I mean, ladies, you wouldn't want to see a man like that go, would you? Our task today is looking at the nature, grounds, and importance of the husband's role in marriage. His role, Paul summarizes both in Colossians and Ephesians as, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. And Paul is saying, husbands, walk as a new creation in Christ by fulfilling your role as a husband. So let's look first at, at the nature of the husband's role in loving his wife sacrificially as Christ loved his bride, the church, sacrificially. A couple married about 15 years, they were having disagreements. They really felt like they needed to do some work on their marriage to make it better. And so they, they agreed to take the wife's idea of fault boxes. So they made two little boxes and each spouse was for, the, for a month they were to take slips of paper and write all those things that irritated them about the other spouse and then you know put those pieces of paper in the box and then after 30 days they would exchange boxes uh, the the husband taking out all of those sheets of paper i'm sure there were few sheets of paper but anyway taking out those sheets of paper and reading what, what he had done to irritate his wife over those 30 days. And then the wife would do the same, take the husband's box and look. So anyway, 
30 days was up. They were at the dinner table in the exchange boxes. The husband starts pulling out the uh, slips of paper, left wet towels on the floor, dirty socks not in the hamper. Where is the lid to the jelly jar? Do you understand, husband, that jelly jars have lids and it's a rather simple process to affix the lid to the jelly jar? Well, the husband reflected on all, all of his transgressions over that 30-day that period. Then it was the wife's turn. She took the box and she began pulling out pieces of paper and the first one said, I love you. And the second one said, I love you. And the third and the fourth and the fifth and the sixth, I love you. Either this guy lived by the uh, slogan, love is blind, or he was just too lazy <laughs> and just filled out all of these slips. But yeah, wives want to hear from their husbands that I love you. Wives like to get slips of paper from their husband that they read written on it, I love you. But the question before us today, is that the sum total of love? Just simply saying or writing I love you. Thomas Kempis, a German priest in the 14th century, defines love for us in just very few words, but I think very helpful words. Akempis said this, whoever loves much does much. And the point for us today is that we would understand love as action, primarily loving actions for the good of another, and in this case, for the good men of our wives. And as I've said, the, the content of these messages on marriage is for everyone, the married and the unmarried. Because part of walking worthy is, yes, living as a new creation of Christ in marriage, but also part of walking worthy is thinking biblically about marriage. And we are challenged today in broad culture with thinking biblically about marriage because culture is trying to completely eradicate the biblical concept of marriage and gender and, and human sexuality. But we are to stand firm. So as we look at the nature of love, sacrificial love, we simply look at the New Testament words, translated love. There are three of them. And Dan Doriani, in his very fine book, The, the Life of a God-Made Man, likens these three loves that we find in the New Testament to a three-legged stool. A three-legged stool needs three legs to operate. And each of those legs is to be the same length. And he says, so to a marriage, that these three loves should should be should grow together as a unit in in marriage it's like a three-legged stool so that the marriage will flourish and so one of these loves is eros obviously intimate love erotic love that's part of marriage 
that's very much what God had in mind in Genesis chapter 2 and verse 24 when the husband and wife shall come together, cleave together, be glued together, and become one flesh. That's that, that's that physical, intimate love. That's primarily what that text is pointing to. They're, they're that close. They're one together physically. They are mostly spiritually one as well. And then the, the second type of love that we see in the Bible is phileo, which is often called friendship love. We've already looked at these, these two types of love. But, but today we want to focus on the third type of love, which is actually the type of love that Paul uses in chapter 3 and verse 19 of Colossians, as well as Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 25, where he says, Husbands, love, agape, your wives. One scholar defined agape love, commonly known, and I think helpfully so as sacrificial love it's more than that but it, it is at least that he he defined that agape love like this and I quote to have a strong non-sexual affection and love for a person and their good as understood by God's moral character especially characterized by and get this a willing forfeiture of rights or privileges in another person's behalf. And I think the last part of that definition is very important. Love is being willing to forfeit, to set aside my rights, my privileges for the good of my wife and really for the good of my brother or sister in Christ. And really, for the good of even the person that is outside the church, for the good of humanity. I mean, who, de who demonstrates preeminently a willingness to forfeit one's rights and privileges? Jesus, who set aside his divine rights, and humbled himself, even becoming obedient unto death on the cross. Ephesians 2, 5 through 11. The remainder of Ephesians 5, 25 really shows us the character of this sacrificial love. Husbands, love your wives. Okay, well, what does that mean? Uh, okay, love my wife, so... How am I to go about loving my wife, Paul says, as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. That's what characterizes the type of love, this agape love that Paul is talking about here. I mean, listen to these scriptures that, that represent God's sacrificial love for sinners like you and like me. John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. 1 John 4, 10 and 11, And this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. 
And then just a few verses from John 13, the, the uh, foot washing chapter. If then your Lord and teacher have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. This is our Lord speaking. For I have given you as an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you, you also ought to love one another. I mean, this afternoon, please read John 13. And read it and ask the question, what does love look like? And what love looks like is the, is the King of kings and the Lord of lords putting on the uniform of a servant and taking a basin of water and washing his disciples' feet because the disciples were unwilling to humble themselves to that extent. And that is a beautiful picture, powerful picture, that points to Jesus humbling himself the very next day as he hung on that cross for you and me. That is love. And then from the love chapter, can't talk about love and not read from 1 Corinthians 13. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. That, as Christ loved the church, points to the extent of the husband's love for the wife. It is the extent to which Christ loved the church. He forfeited his right, his divine right. He didn't forfeit that. He, he just set them aside. He set them aside to come down to redeem his people. He died for his bride, the church. He sacrificed himself. And husbands, that's what we're called to do for our brides. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. That as Christ loved the church, it, it, it qualifies how the husband is to go about fulfilling his role as, as the head or the authority in marriage. Christ is the head of the church. He is the authority, period. And yet, how did he demonstrate love for the church? He served. The ultimate servant leader. Men, that's what we're called to do to exercise our role as a servant leader by loving our wives. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. This is not a suggestion. It's not a recommendation. The original language points to the fact that Paul is actually issuing a command here. Husbands, obey the command. Love your wives as Christ loved the church. Servant leaders, Husbands, what do we need to die to 
in order to love our wives as Christ loved the church. Do we need to die to self and put her needs first? Do we need to die to our schedules and prioritize times with her? Do we need to die to sexual lust and desire her only? Do we need to die to pride and humbly serve her? Do we need to die to the fact that she actually might have a better idea? That she may actually know the better route to take? To get from point A to point B, a good bit of dying that I need to do is not in a car wreck, but in the car with my wife, traveling. I was born not wanting any help with directions, even if I'm lost. The nature of the husband's role is to love his wife as Christ loved the church. But second, what is the grounds for loving our wives as Christ loved the church? And the grounds is simply this. Husband and wife, the two are brought together and they're one. The, the mystery author Agatha Christie said this, an archaeologist is the best husband a woman can have. The older she gets, the more interested he is in her. And she would know because she was married to an archaeologist. Paul would say that the best husband a wife, a wife could have is one who expresses his interest in her, irrespective of age, but as a function of knowing and embracing the grounds for his role as servant leader. And as he focuses and lives out of the grounds for his being a servant leader, he will be all about her well-being and her good. May I unpack that for us? Last week, our text appealed to the creation account with regards to the wife's role in submitting or respecting the authority of her husband, and Paul appeals to the creation account here as well to show the grounds for the husband's role in being that sacrificial, loving servant leader in the home. Look at Ephesians 5, 26 through 32. I believe it's the state's the grounds for us, the, the grounds for the husband expressing his authority and lovingly serving, sacrificially serving his wife. In verses 26 through 32, Paul correlates the, the mystical union between Christ and his church to the union that exists between the husband and the wife. Look at verse 31. Paul quotes from Genesis chapter 2 and verse 24. Where we find God's design for marriage is that the husband and wife would leave their families of origin and cleave, hold fast, covenantal terms, to one another 
and become one, one flesh, the one flesh principle, physically, sexually, emotionally, and spiritually, in every way, they are united together as husband and wife in the, in the bonds of marriage, very powerful union. This, this intimate union of husband and wife established in Genesis chapter 2 really is the grounds for the husband fulfilling his role of lovingly, sacrificially serving his wife, loving his wife as that, that servant leader who is all about the wife's greatest good. Paul teaches in an analogous uh, way that this union between the church and Christ is analogous to this union between the husband and the wife. So the mystery that Paul talks about in our text today is the divine purpose in Christ sacrificially loving sinners so they would be united to him in saving faith. Christ loved the church by giving himself up for the church, verse 25. Christ loved sacrificially to redeem his bride from sin. Verse 26, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. That's, and then he does that, that redeeming work for this goal, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. blemish. All Christ did in coming down, setting aside his divine rights for a time, humbling himself, becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross, all that he did in his ministry, his death, his resurrection, his ascension, all of it was as a servant leader who was all about the spiritual and eternal good of his bride, the church. Jesus came to save, and to save sinners like you and me. He came for us. Men, that's the grounds for our loving our wives, our serving our wives, our functioning in that God-ordained order as servant leaders. Because Christ came for us, how much Should we serve our wives for their good? And because Christ is united, or his bride is united to Christ, he can do no harm to his bride. Have you just stop and think about this? Do you believe that, that Jesus has saved you? Do you believe that because Jesus has saved you, he has promised he will never leave you? Do you believe? that no matter what happens as you live, that when you die because of what Jesus did, his promises, his work, that you will be with him in heaven. You know, I'm assured of that. I, irrespective of how messy and goofy and crazy life is, I know that my Redeemer lives and that he died for me and he lives for me. Man, I... Here's the point I want to make. Men, we should so, so love our wives. We should so be about their good that they're assured of it every day. That my man is for me. <laughs> 
because right now we can be assured that Jesus is out for our good. Do you see what the Apostle Paul is doing here? This, this, our union with Christ is the grounds for our being assured that he is out for our good. In marriage, our union as husband and wife, that's the grounds for the wife knowing that her husband is out for his good, uh, out for her good. The nature of the husband's role is sacrificial love. The grounds for that husband fulfilling his role is the fact that God has brought the husband and wife together as one. And as one, the husband is to be all about seeking his wife's good in every way. And now the importance of the husband's role in loving his wife. Really the importance of the husband's role in loving his wife is realizing the fact that the wife's greatest need is met. Remember last week, the importance of the wife's role in fulfilling her role is the fact that the husband's greatest need is met, respect. And now we find the role of the husband meets the wife's greatest need, to be cherished. Soon after a couple's last child went off to college, they were sitting on the couch. The, they were, the, the husband was laying with his head in his wife's lap. And the wife just reached down and just ever so gently took the husband's glasses off. And she said, you know, honey, without your glasses, you look like that same handsome young man I married so many years ago. Honey... The husband said, without my glasses, you look pretty good, too. And so, man, I just want to say, hey, does your wife still look pretty good, too? Man, when you look at your wife, do you see one whom you cherish? Ephesians 5.29, Paul teaches that Christ nourished and cherished the church. So husbands, according to Paul, are to nourish and cherish their wives. And as they go about nourishing and cherishing their wives, their wives need to be cherished, will be met. To cherish is to treat your wife with tenderness and affection to demonstrate she is the most important person in your life, the sole object of your love and affection. She is precious to you. Are we following Christ's life of nourishing and cherishing our wives? Colossians 3.19, Paul exhorts husbands, and let me just put, uh, give a, uh, an assessment of what Paul is saying here in the context of what Paul was doing in Colossians. So, so I, would, I would just simply ask us to think about Colossians 3.19 in this way. Husbands, walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him as a new creation in Christ by, by loving your wife, nourishing and cherishing her according to God's ordained role for you rather than being harsh with her, which husband 
is your natural tendency. So we can surmise in Paul's day that husbands tended to be harsh with their wives. And in fact, history points out that was part of that Roman culture for husbands to think more of their wives as a possession and to treat them like a household slave, to be harsh with them. Let's be honest, what the Bible means by harsh is abusive. And sadly, this tendency of that first century Roman culture describes our culture today in many ways. Do we as husbands tend to be harsh, abusive, or loving towards our wives? Abuse has been described as an epidemic in our day by people who write about such things. In a 2019 study, it was found that in broad culture, one out of three women have been abused in some way, have been or are being abused in some way. And one out of four men suffer or have suffered or are suffering abuse. Also in 2019, an article came out in our own denominational magazine, By Faith. It was written by Megan Fowler. And there, Megan quoted a pastor and folks in his church that had developed ministries to work with women who are suffering from abuse, women who are in crisis. And the article stated that this toxic problem, this epidemic in our culture has crept into the church. And crept into the church may be a kind way of expressing it. As we look at the church in general, there are abused women sitting silently in pews, in churches, all over our country. That is the implication of these statistics. I mean, even if it's not one in three in the evangelical church, our church, one in ten is bad enough, isn't it? Abuse can take many forms, physical, sexual, verbal, emotional, economic. The wounds of abuse may not be a black eye, though sometimes that is the wound of abuse. But the wounds of abuse cannot be visible. The wounds of a harsh word, the wounds of emotional abuse, gaslighting, are just as deep just as hurtful, and over the long run can be more so than just simply getting hit and eventually getting over it, that the wounds persist. It's horrible to get hit. The point I'm trying to make is that's, that's not all, that, that is not the only wound of abuse. Husbands, are we sacrificially loving our wives as Christ loved the church? 
Husbands, are, are we seeking our wives' greatest good, doing all for her welfare out of our union with her, like Christ seeking our good in union with us? Husbands, are we seeking her good by nourishing and cherishing her rather than being harsh, abusive towards her? I mean, are we hitting our wives? Are we sexually abusing our wives? Are we speaking harsh and hard words to our wives? Are we gaslighting? Are we basically operating to convince our wives they're crazy? We need to realize that abuse takes many forms. And men, we would do well to consider the nature of, the grounds for, and the importance of our role, our God-given role, in light of God's grace. And where we are falling short, which we are falling short, but where we are in sin, we need to confess that to our wives, repent of it. We need to confess that and repent of it before God. And we need to rely on his grace that he might work in us, that we would be faithful in fulfilling our role. That, that the way we go about loving our wives in our marriages would be like a billboard that screams, this is a new creation in Christ. If you want to know what love looks like, look at this guy how he loves his wife. If you want to look at what sacrifice looks like, look at that guy, how he sacrifices for his life. If you want to consider what does it mean to forfeit something for the good of another, look at that guy. If you want to know what it looks like to be cherished, look at how that guy cherishes his wife. Like it or not, man, that's, that's where the Apostle Paul brings us in, in this passage. For us to consider what is our walk really like in marriage in light of what, it, what God's ordained role for us in marriage is to be. And where there's a discrepancy, repent. Receive grace. Live as a new creation in Christ. Our identity is in Christ, a new creation. We're to sacrificially love our wives as Christ loved the church. We're to be that servant leader that expresses his authority and sacrifice and love. The grounds of our sacrificial love is that union with our wives. We're one, which means that we're to be out for the good of our wives that should be our chief interest and the importance of the husband's role is that as I cherish my wife she actually feels cherished her greatest need is met and there's no harshness or abusiveness in my actions as a husband man let me just say these are hard words I would have liked to have avoided 
this message on husbands because I am one. And it's terribly convicting. Not that I hit Renee, but my words, my goodness. So I think we all have some work to do, men, those of us who are married. Reflect on the gravity of what Paul is teaching here. Know that God's grace is sufficient for you and for me. To be the type of man he's called us to be in our marriages. So what does this look like practically? Uh, does the husband make all the decisions without consulting his wife and she just submits? Does the, does the husband rule over his wife and, and uh, he just puts her interests down? I mean, if, if you listen to our culture, they would say, yeah, that's exactly what this biblical marriage looks like. But we know differently. We know that is not what the Bible says. We, we know the Bible says this, Adam and Eve were side by side, arm in arm. Together they were going about fulfilling the cultural mandate, complementing one another. Adam is the authority. Yes, that's correct. He's responsible. But Eve, the God-given enabler, that's what she was. That's what the term helper means in the Hebrew, enabler, that she was given uh, to him. They were to work as a team. They were to discuss things together. Adam was to ask for Eve's input. She may have a better idea. They work together. They grow together. They flourish together as husband and wife. Adam may want to go hunting. Of course, after Genesis chapter 3 and verse 21, God did the first sacrifice. And after that, Adam could go hunting. But he knows Eve has been working hard and she really wants to go shopping. And so he lets her go shopping and he stays home and takes care of the kids. He chooses to die to his wants and serve his wife. He dies to watching football to go on a walk with her. He dies to purchasing those new golf clubs or that new bike to buy that outfit for her. Of course, in the garden, the outfit would be relatively inexpensive, a couple of leaves maybe, but die to abrogating authority and lead your wife. They were face-to-face -face best friends yeah, best friends, husband and wife. They were one. They were intimate friends. Huge bonus there. They were intimate friends, exclusively so. Adam said when he saw Eve, at last. And he lived in the thrill of those words, at last, every day, as he cherished the most important person in his life on earth, and that was Eve. His endeavor was to be on a love offensive, willing to die to anything and everything for her, to demonstrate he was 100% for her good, to nourish and cherish her, that she would be all that God created her to be. Practically, men, it comes down to this, are we willing to die to self, and to die to all sorts of things, to really love our wife in the way that Paul calls us to love our wives here in these passages of Scripture. Are we willing to live out the practical implications of being united to our wives as one and work for her good? Are, are, are we committed to repent of harshness and to really ask God for grace that we would be a man who nourishes and cherishes our wives. 
I said last week, the husband sets the tone for the marriage. He is a servant leader. Men, we need to submit ultimately to Christ and the Spirit to fulfill our role in loving our wives as Christ loved the church. That the way we go about fulfilling our roles would be sacrificial love that works for her good, where she have, has confidence that we are for her welfare and where because of our nourishing and our cherishing of her, she thrives. Let us pray. Father, all of us here today struggle so to be faithful to you. So I pray, Father, that you would work in us that, that we would ultimately be some, that we would submit to you that we would be humbled, that we would serve you. Today, I especially pray for those of us who are husbands, that we would submit to you even as we lead our wives, that you would give us grace, that you would fill us with strong faith, that you would bring us to repentance where needed, and that we would trust you to fulfill our role in the family, in marriage. Lord, I also pray that you would enable us to think biblically about marriage. We commit ourselves to you and we thank you for your grace and your sufficiency and your supremacy. In Jesus' name, amen.